Welcome to The Living Room, a cozy place of candid conversation. We're a group of women in various ages and stages of life. Join us for thoughtful discussion with a side of humor. We chat about everything from parenting issues to life balance, what matters most, and how to make it happen in everyday life. Settle in just to listen or feel free to add your comments online at www.fromthelivingroom.com. And now, your hosts for today's show. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for tuning in. Today, we are chatting about addiction. My name is Michelle McCullough, and I'm the host of today's show. And um, we're going to be doing things a little bit differently, and um, it, the show is a little bit more somber. But we know that there are conversations that need to be had, and so we're excited to share them with you today in the hopes that you can find some hope and comfort in whatever challenges you're currently facing. I am currently joined by Christy, Connie, Kate, and my new baby, Rhett, <laughs> and Jana, <laughs> Heather, Jody. And Heather's baby, too. Yes. Just, we have to give the disclaimer because if you hear little sounds. I know. We are co-hosts of nine today. Yeah. <laughs> so as we dive into this conversation, we're acknowledging that addiction is seeping into many aspects of our lives. Friends and family members are pulled into vices. Spouses and children within the walls of our own home are being held by the consequences of these behaviors. So we're not going to brush it under the rug. And we're not going to cry the whole time either. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but maybe we could. Today, I'll be asking some questions of our hosts that have some stories to tell and insights on how to survive through these challenges. But I want to start with your story, ladies. A few of you have some things that you've been willing to share. I want to know how you and your family have been affected by addiction. Let's start with Jenna. Our oldest uh, had a problem with. Uh, Marijuana, and a lot of people think that marijuana is not an addictive substance, but he himself will tell you that he was at the very least psychologically dependent on this, and it was um, frightening for all of us. We didn't really uh, get a handle on it for a while, but we caught it fairly early in the process um, through a lot of divine intervention, a lot of um, really... Um, amazing promptings and people that led us to discover what was going on. Uh, our son was failing school. He was um, very disruptive within the family and all the passions that he had in his life, lacrosse, music, those things had fallen by the wayside and those were some of the key signals that something was very wrong. And when we finally discovered what the problem was, we spoke to a neighbor who worked for a treatment center and um, their advice was to send him to a wilderness program. And so that's what we did and it was an amazing turning point for him and allowed him to really uh, turn his life around. Beyond that, we sent him to a therapeutic boarding school so that those changes that were made in the wilderness would be driven deep down into a soul and become permanent. Lots of times they go to a wilderness program and they make a big change and then they're back with their same old friends and back into those same habits. And so, as you can imagine, this was a significant uh, sacrifice for our family, including um, mortgaging our house to pay for all of this. And uh, it's interesting because as we were talking about, he said that the sacrifice that we made was actually one of the things that helped him change. Mm -hmm. He saw how much we cared about him. He saw how important this was to us. He knew that our family didn't have a ton of resources and that this was a significant um, 
outlay. And so that caused him both to feel better about, you know, our relationship, but also to see that we were taking this very seriously and he needed to as well. Mm. Thank you, Jen. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Kate? Um, so my, I was given permission to share this story, but I'm, um, I'm, I'm going to say Erica and Jake, but those names have changed. Um, I've changed the names, but these are friends of mine who, um, I got a call a, a while ago from my friend Erica, who told me that her husband, she found out, um, had for the past 10 years, um, been um, when he'd go on business trips and other times been sleeping with prostitutes and had a, a major pornography addiction that had turned into a sex addiction and um, really was shocking when she told us a lot of the things and, and that he was into and had done and how it had affected her health and how it had affected their family and I remember when she told me that just sobbing and being so devastated and shocked and and um, going to asking her if I could go to her house that night and sleep over. And as I went over there and held her um, son who had, sorry, found on the computer the appointments that his father had made with these women. And that was how they found out that he had this problem. And as I held him and he asked us questions like, why would dad do this? And why would dad do something he's always taught me not to do? And, And then he would text his father and ask him. And they were just full of you know, trying to figure out how to deal with this. And as we sat and cried the whole night together and read scriptures and said prayer after prayer, I was amazed at the peace that was in that room with us and how he could have done so many horrible things, but we could handle it in a way. So when we were talking, my friend and I, um, I was amazed because I thought as I heard all the details of what her husband had done, I thought I would just hate him for what he had done, for what he had done to the kids, for what he had done to my friend. And it was so amazing because a day later I was talking to another friend of mine who is a guy and he just said, you know, Kate, you have no idea how pervasive pornography is and how pervasive these things are and how hard they're and how widely spread, how many men and women this is affecting. And when he said that, all of a sudden hit me and he confided that it was affecting him. And I found out that it was affecting a lot of people that I loved and knew. And when he said that, I all of a sudden felt such compassion for my friend's husband. And I texted my friend and I asked her if I could please text him. And she said, yes, but I can't. So go ahead. And I texted him and I remember just saying his name in the text. And I just said, we love you and you are not lost. And I remember when I wrote the words, you are not lost. I thought, I want so badly for him to know that there is hope. And regardless of every single thing he has done, I want him to know that there is a way back. Because I can't bear the thought of him feeling lost. And that was harder for me than what he had done. Obviously, he hadn't done it to me. But but I was so grateful for that feeling. And my message, I guess, today is for people to know that... There is hope, even in the most vital of circumstance. Addiction is real, and this is not that person. This is an addiction that has affected that person, but there is always a way back. Thank you. Um, 
let's Jenna did you have something you wanted to add to that yeah I was just gonna say we had a really similar experience in in terms of being lost I remember when our son was really little and he got lost at the at the mall and the panic about that and realizing at this older age as a teenager when he was lost how much scarier that was and how important it was to really go to him and help him be found and help him find himself and uh, that it's it's very similar and I found that that in some ways that that 16 year old needed me far more than he did when he was a toddler that mm. that rescue and that you know sitting up all night with him as a mother then so critical yeah I love that you said the word rescue because addiction really is about rescuing and I just love that that we are all going to need rescuing at some point or another for the trials and tribulations that we go through, um, even if it's illness. But that's just a beautiful, hopeful word because there's a lot involved in a rescue. Absolutely. Heather, will you share yours? Sure. Mine's, well, my father-in-law is an addict. And so my husband was raised by an addict, if that's probably a pretty clear-cut way to put it. And now that we are married, I can clearly see um, kind of the repercussions of what it's like to be raised by someone who is addicted to terrible, terrible things. And I remember first meeting my father-in-law. Our first meeting was, was nothing short of terribly unpleasant. He showed up completely high on you know, all sorts of different things. And I got to sit next to him in the restaurant and he was obnoxious and he was brash and he embarrassed all of us. And, you know, as I sat there and tried to use, I remember thinking, you know, my dad, my dad's taught me how to deal with people, you know, use those skills. I was reverting back to anything that I had to try and have this relationship. I remember looking over at my husband and, and immediately feeling all those feelings we have of, of a lot of Maybe even some hatred. Yeah. I, I just I just was hit so hard with how dare you raise this man that I love so much yeah. and do these despicable things to him and make him go through this. And, you know, these are things that my husband wears on his, you know, carries around with him. And, and even though he's worked through it and, you know, addiction hasn't plagued him because of a lot of different experiences that have saved him, I've watched as as he's had to find ways to love a man who who never treated him correctly as he's you know had to work through those things and and now we've had to work through having children who wonder why grandpa can't come over today or and so the experience has been very interesting I feel like we've had to work through those windows of hatred and despair and yet still try to find hope we are related to him he is still my husband's father this is still an addiction that he would love to shake and never could. He he died with his addictions just a few months ago. And so for us, especially with it being so different than the way I was raised, it was it has been a very interesting 15, you know, 17 years as we've as I've learned to love him, but I've also had to figure out how to support the man I love and am married to, you know, for eternity through what he's dealt with addiction it it is a nasty thing and and it touches in ways we just never think it will we just we can't foresee that going into it absolutely thanks for sharing that heather jody i became um a volunteer teacher of women in recovery 14 years ago and so i knew so little about addiction and i had never tasted 
beer um, or had a cigarette or you know, I didn't have um, a frame of reference to really go to to say, gosh, I can relate to how hard alcohol or drug addiction must be. And uh, I found myself just absolutely falling in love with the addiction recovery work and the women that I worked with because I saw such strength, uh, humility, and a peace that uh, was there that I didn't expect because I had, again, not um, not experienced things um, personally in my own life at that time. I, did, I have later and have had relatives and so forth who have experienced addiction. But at that time, I was, I was just very new and, and naive. I can speak from recovery in the sense that I have three very dear women in my life who have walked a very difficult path and have recovered. And if you talk to them, they would say, I'm still in recovery. I never will leave recovery. And with great respect and honor, I look at these women as some, well, the three strongest women in my life because I know where they have come from, how far they've come. And the message that I love that they bring into my life is because they have recovered and have chosen that path, they are free from that bondage. They don't have to be um, hewn down by that heaviness any longer. And they still walk that path every day, but they do so with great hope. They are mothers. They are um, professionals. Um, Wendy is one of my uh, dear friends who started a nonprofit here in the Salt Lake City area with her sister called Soul Food USA, and she feeds the homeless. And so I follow her footsteps now as I taught her as a volunteer teacher 14 years ago. I now contribute to her uh, volunteer efforts, and she's a wonderful example. And so in Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things, and I want to emphasize that I can do all all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Addiction is bondage, but we are able to be set free. Not everyone will in this lifetime. We know that, but we certainly, certainly know that those that seek recovery and that those that walk that path can be free. And if we are in that realm of being with loved ones and we are with someone who is seeking that path. We can never force it. But if they are choosing to walk that recovery path, there's a way for us to walk with them. And like Jana experienced through the recovery of her son and the miracle of a, of a prodigal son returning, there is nothing more joyful than to stand and bear witness that you have so seen true. your son do all things um, and he will continue to do so. Um, it is a difficult path, but it is certainly one that with the right help and the right support um can be overcome certainly overcome thank you so much and thank you for being willing to share your stories i know they're personal and i know that in a lot of cases they're still very raw and touching but so i'd love for you to share um what kind of advice do you have for a listener that may currently be supporting a loved one with an addiction uh kate let's start with you i was just gonna say i'm so glad that you said that because um my 
sister-in-law, my brother, who did give me permission to share this story. My brother has had a prescription drug addiction for a long time, and he's been clean, actually, for about five years, which is awesome. And actually, incidentally, the person I shared in the other story has been clean for a year, which is awesome, too. So there is hope. Um, but my sister-in-law said, you know, one of her biggest frustrations was she said there, there, it felt like there was so much support for the addict, which is right and good. But she said so much time, I felt like that was just my job to support, support, support my husband, and there was nothing for me. Mm -hmm. And she said, I felt so a lot, so lost. I felt like I needed someone. And, and I think it's very important to note that there is hope and addiction, but you as the loved one do not need to carry that. That is not your responsibility, but there's a difference of caring and enabling. And there's a difference in loving someone and allowing them while not caring and saying, this is not mine. I'm not going to enable you, but I will love you. And there's hope. And everyone has to figure out what that is for them personally. And there's also people like Heather shared that maybe choose not to make that change. And that's a big part too. But if you do, and there is hope, I think um, these all of these programs that we'll reference on the website have areas for just the spouses, for the friends, for the family of addicts. And I've gone to some of those and they're lovely and they're wonderful and there's support for everyone. And everyone touched by addiction needs help in some way, whether you are the addict or you're the loved one of them. And really all of us could benefit going to those classes Absolutely. because at Absolutely. some point we're all going to be touched by addiction. Absolutely. Jenna? Yeah, you know, it can have a disastrous impact on a family. I'll just give you one image. We had... Um, our son did not want to be helped. He didn't realize he had a problem, didn't think he had a problem, and we knew that he needed help. So we had to have an escort service uh, take him from our home. Uh, they came in the pre-dawn hours and um, right into our home. These two big burly men into his bedroom and took him upstairs. The little kids heard, you know, the, the fighting and the kicking and the screaming. I'm not kidding. You know, swearing. And... Uh, and that it was just traumatic for them. And then to have, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And then it was interesting because they're not supposed to give them their shoes and they're not supposed to give them a coat. And yet um, uh, at the last second, they did thinking he was going to cooperate. And as soon as they got outside the front door, he took off running. Mm -hmm. And then we thought, oh, my word, what have we done? You know, because because now he's never going to come back and he knows we're going to send him away. Yeah, and it, it was... Right. And and yet the other part of you wants to cheer on the fighting spirit. You know? Right. <laughs> and, and but Ultimately, it was successful, and we did get him where he needed to go and get help. But I think that's one of the things to be aware of is if you can catch them before they're 18, you do have a lot of resources and a lot of things you can do. After they're 18, not so much. But before they're 18, if you can catch them and help them and really intervene at that point, our son, who was so angry in the moment and probably for the first week or so, is so grateful now mm -hmm. and to add just an air of hope from the other side now uh, he's graduated from college he has a full-time job working in his field he's very professional he's honest we trust him where before he was stealing from us we trust him now and and he continues to seek therapy and help and improve himself because he saw how much good that did in that intervening moment. He continues to grow and improve on a daily basis and seek it out on his own, and it's really inspiring. Thank you very much, Jenna. Heather, what is your thoughts and advice for a listener who's supporting someone with addiction? So my advice has to do with boundaries. And, you know, we hear about boundaries in a lot of different ways, but 
I want us to understand that today, as we're talking about hope, regardless of the choices that my father-in-law was making, we still wanted to have hope that he wanted out of all of this, that he wanted to change, that he wanted a relationship with his grandchildren, that, you know, he wanted those good things. And so for that to happen, my advice, which we, we took and I give to you too, is to be sure that you set up boundaries so that hope can actually exist. When we first started, you know, this journey and, and I first started needing to deal with him, I recognized very quickly how vulnerable and how scary and how uncomfortable I was. And that in turn it was transferred to our children who were very uncomfortable. It wasn't a safe environment for them. And so the first thing we did was put up some very strict boundaries that allowed there to actually be hope and allowed there to be a relationship. And it was the same thing with my husband. We actually had to have that same conversation and have boundaries. My husband grew up with his father. He knew this to be normal normal life. And so I remember after being married a few years, his father had come to visit. And again, he was, he was on a lot of things and it wasn't comfortable. I remember sitting with our son in my arms for four days straight. He slept in my arms. He, and, and I just sat in a room and guarded him so, so uncomfortable with this situation. And my husband came home from work and I finally lost it. And, and I said, this is not okay. And he said, what, what, what do you mean? And I said, this, this is not how our family is going to function. The choices he's making, and he had never, it had never dawned on my husband that, that everybody just didn't kind of have to deal with this a little, you know, to him, it was so commonplace. And so he and I had to set some very strict boundaries. Once you put those boundaries in place, it allows there to be enough safety mentally and physically that you can actually look for the hope and extend the love and reach out and feel the compassion and feel that Christ-like spirit that we want to give to not only ourselves, but to people who are struggling with addictions. And until we have the boundaries that protect us, we can't open our hearts and minds to hope, to love, to faith. And so if there is something that I can leave with you, find those boundaries first, put them in place, enforce them, it is not saying that you are cutting someone off, but instead by setting them, you are actually opening your heart to to love and be more engaged and involved with these people who are struggling with such a, a difficult disease. And it, it creates a beautiful relationship when, when there's that safety first. Connie? And I was just going to say, I think a beautiful thing about that is you are also teaching a norm. You are resetting that yes. pattern. And that is so huge so that the addiction patterns do not continue. As someone may choose not to follow that, but you have set that in your family as this is what is normal. I mean, what is normal? Okay, so the most close to normal, but right. that you are saying this is not normal and this is normal and this is what we're going to strive for. And that is a powerful lesson. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, want, I want to underscore that because that's exactly why we ultimately decided to send our yes. son away. And it was astonishing. Once he was out of our home environment, how much more safety there was for the younger children. What a better environment that was to um, help everybody grow. And, and it was the kindest thing we could have done for him, the most loving as well. Excellent. Jody, I think the, the key thing as we are discussing anything that... Um, is complicated, which addiction mm -hmm. is, is mm -hmm. the, the reality that we're going to need some help and we're not going to yeah. be able to do this alone. Um, you're going to need to seek out um, 
references in books on the internet. Um, you can make phone calls, but don't go through this alone. Ask questions. Shame is a terrible bondage in and of itself. And when we step into that room of shame and say, I can't let anybody know that this is happening, whether it's family or marriage or with a friend or, or you yourself, then you become a prisoner and you don't want that. Uh, and I look at it as an adversarial tactic. There's nothing more than the adversary would love to say, you know what, we're not going to talk about this. We're going to box it up and keep it secret. We need to let the light in. And so seek out those resources, find the friend you can talk to, but also find professionals Al-Anon is a wonderful support group all across the country. You can do phone-ins from your very own house, but whether you are supporting an addict or, or struggling yourself and going, you know, having an interest in AA meetings, um, those are just key, key pieces to the connection that needs to be made because you can't do it alone. And we're not meant to do it alone. That's the beauty yeah, of it. Right. And I think that the adversary in that case is trying to say, hey, either A, you can do this yourself or don't let anyone else know because then you'll be embarrassed and hide. Yes. Mm -hmm. But be, but I think that, that those are the very things that keep you held back into your old choices instead yes. of being able to say, hey, listen, there are other people who struggle with this. There are other people who have, have challenge. And I'm so grateful for professional programs and for, for, for professional people that can help me get out of this. Because in that addiction spot and some of the things that you've been talking to is I have watched some friends struggle with this. Um, I, I noticed that they go so long before they get help because of all those shames and the undertones and the things that happen. And they said, I just wish I would have given in sooner. I wish yeah. I would have gotten help sooner. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about those lines of when you feel like you can do it yourself or when you really need to seek professional help. And let's start with Kate. Well, I, sorry, before that, I was just going to say, I love that you said about the shaming and the hide and all of that. I was going to say, there's a role that all of us who maybe don't have an addiction that play in that. And that is we perpetuate that feeling by things that we say, by sure. stereotypes, by thinking you have a sex addiction, a, i.e. you're a pervert, you're disgusting, you're horrible. No, the addiction is disgusting and things that are doing are disgusting. But this is a person, a human being, a child of God mm -hmm. who has been caught up in something awful. And I promise you anything you think or say is far less than anything they think or say about themselves. So we are perpetuating that. And wouldn't it be amazing if instead we held on to someone, we became that friend, that was the person. It doesn't matter if you know what to say or you don't. A hug can go a million you know, places when you feel like you are a monster. I remember this person, my friend's husband, saying, I am not even a human being, I'm a monster. That mm -hmm. is awful. We mm -hmm. would never want somebody to feel that way, who truly there is hope. And anyway, and I think um, as people who are on the outskirts of that, we can offer such hope. We can offer these programs. We can stop this cycle and perpetuating. And, you know, I always will regret talking to a girlfriend when I was 19 years old and saying, oh, if my husband was ever looking at pornography or addicted to porn, I would leave him. Well, I didn't know her husband was. I regret that to this day because that was a very naive comment for me to say from a place that I didn't recognize and did not understand. Now, thankfully, I'm older. and But that was hurtful to her and hurtful to her husband. Didn't offer any hope. And the truth is, that's going on 
way more than we know and not in a way that I'm saying that that's okay it's not okay but we need to recognize that there are wonderful men and women out there that are looking at pornography that have an addiction that need to feel hope and don't need to feel like you can't ever marry or you can't ever no that's not true at all right. there's hope of course there's and you know what I need to be grateful that that's not my trial because I have things and if I don't understand be grateful because that means you don't understand, which means you're not walking it. Right. Not that I'm better than you, but I don't have to walk that path. So I'm grateful for that. So what I can do is I can be your friend. I can help you through that. Right. And I think that to that point, you know, I've always thought of this as, you know, that's their challenge and that's their struggle. And that's the, that's the way that they get to learn how to make good choices and come back to fill the spirit again. And they have to get out of that, but it's also ours. We Absolutely. have to choose how yes. we're going to respond. We have to choose how we're going to choose love instead of judgment. And we have to look past things that we've been taught that that include a label to say, hey, listen, at the end of the day, they don't need anything else from me except to love them and to help them. And I don't have to be the one to save them, right? Yes. I just have to be the one that chooses to respond with love and with comfort and with hope. And, and I appreciate you going down that path a little bit. And Heather, did you have something you wanted to add to that? I just want to throw something in. As you're saying this, you know, like I mentioned, my father-in-law passed away just a few months ago at the end of the summer. And as we were preparing things for him, you know, he left, he left himself in debt, which immediately came to his family members and people are calling and drugs and we've got people following. It's just this, you know, this movie mess is what it is. And my husband was making such just, just humble decisions that, you know, people talked about saving money and cremating him or not, you know, there was no one who wanted to speak at his funeral to say good things or to say, and one night he said to me, he said, one day I'm going to be held accountable for how I handle this week with my own father. Mm -hmm. And he said, I am not going to stand in front of the savior in front of my maker and have him look at me and say, you didn't love enough. You did. You weren't humble enough to love this child of God the way I love you. And it was such a, you know, we'd worked so hard as a family, but to see my husband put that bow around everything and wrap it up with, with a perfect funeral for a man who, you know, didn't, who, who did imperfect things like we all do. And he did, he made every last right choice because we are so accountable for this. We, we are the ones you know, people walk next to us when we have our struggles. We need to be doing the same for everyone else, regardless of what the struggle is. It's it's our job, too. So I think that's so powerful, Michelle, that, that you point that out. Absolutely. Jana? There's a Dar Williams lyric that really helped me through this at a certain point. She says in one of her songs, When people ask how far love goes, when my job's done, you'll be the one who knows. It's it spoke to me very deeply and I wanted to make sure that my love was that kind of love, that it went to to the depths and across the universe, how however far it needed to go. And and I do feel like that was communicated. Yes. Well thank you so much for that. I know we kind of we asked a question and then answered some other things, but but that's no, I think that's good because I think that conversation needed to happen. But and let's do talk about that for those that are sitting there and haven't yet reached the place where they ask for professional help. When does that happen? And um, how how do you decide if it's small enough that you can do it on your own or if it's big enough that you need to seek professional help? Jody, let's start with you. I think um, in my experiences, if I've learned how to ask those tough questions and not try to um, 
just skirt around it. You know, having a, a, a friend that is no longer with us that was an alcoholic, um, she got a DUI and it was a moment where I needed to let her know that that scared me. Um, I had children. I wasn't any longer in the neighborhood, but it was a moment of, I need to let you know how much this scares me. I love you, but I know where this can go. And it's a hard discussion to have. And so I think when we're asking, you know, when do you need help? Listen to that inner voice. Because the minute you start asking yourself questions like, oh my goodness, should I say something to my friend? Should I ask this question? Should I inquire? Or um, yes, yes, yes. You should be asking those questions and not be afraid with what the answer is. There might be rejection. There might be anger. There might be, you know, so I do need help. What does that mean? And then you're left to go, I don't know, but we'll figure this out together. But asking those questions, the moment you feel that little pressing inside you um, and professional help, there is never a bad time to seek professional help. You know, you can visit with a counselor. You can go to an AA meeting. It's just important that you do it. Google addiction recovery and then your state. There will be immediate resources that come up and start calling and asking your local church. There's just a lot of resources, but there's just never a bad time you know, to say, oh, today's not the day I'm going to seek help. Just ask those questions and seek it. Well, and don't you think that if you're having that question of should I seek help or not, it you probably should seek help. It, that's simple. And there's no right? shame in and it. And there's absolutely, absolutely no shame, no shame in it. And it can't hurt. And so if you're really questioning, I think that's a good place to start to think, wow, I, I wouldn't be questioning this if, if there wasn't more to it. And wouldn't mm-hmm. we feel terrible? I think back to my friend, if I would have if I would have addressed the fact that I really believed that there was a drinking problem years before I was brave enough to bring that up. And I can't go back there and say, Oh, would I have saved her? Or would I have made a difference? I think there's so much else that could have been done, but I do live with that a little bit. I wish I would have known what I know now and I would have been a little braver. And so I am not afraid anymore. Um, if I, if I'm with someone and particularly serving in, um, service and volunteer opportunities through my church, I've been the one that has stood there and asked those hard questions. You know, are, are we dealing with maybe a prescription drug problem and can we talk about that? And, um, so I think, I think it is just really good to be brave enough to ask those hard questions. We may be setting that individual on a path of recovery and that's where we want recovery to go is to that hopeful place that there can be a new person come out of this, this messy addiction. Thank you very much, Jenna. Julie mentioned a DUI. I think for us, it's really obvious when the law get involved. Sure. We had uh, cop cars and canine at our house and my husband came home and there was all this flurry of activity and yeah, yeah, you know, pretty soon it's out in the open, right? Uh, But the interesting thing about that is once it is in the open, it was amazing. The outpouring of love and the people, my brother-in-law, my aunt, my son, my, you know, you, you realize how much of it is out there, but you don't know because you're trying to hide it too, you know? You don't have to hide anymore. No, totally not. Uh, the other thing is, I think that's an obvious one. There are other signs of addiction that are less obvious, but when, when people, um, withdraw 
when they're when they're checked out of their responsibilities and they're no longer holding down a job or, or you know doing what they need to do in school when they and I mentioned this um, let go of their passions and they're no longer doing things that they used to love those are all uh, signs that there could be a deeper problem that you can investigate and then uh, we talked about our, our boundaries show about uh, checking cell phones that was a real blessing for us we found some things on both his cell phone and mine that needed to be taken care of and so those would be I think some signs of when you need to get more help and addiction is there's a reason someone's addicted and it could be that somebody's depressed and they're trying to self-medicate that's Uh, it could be you know that there is um anxiety and somebody's saying Mm -hmm. hey this is a way that i deal with anxiety so there are there are reasons underneath the addiction and so when you you're not just treating the addiction you're treating the illness and that's what professional help really lets you uncover and so it's so important as we look at the whole big umbrella you know you've got the umbrella of uh, of addiction but then really what's underneath it are all those issues and problems and heartbreaks and wounds that haven't you know healed properly that bring out the addiction and so we just need to remember that it's a lot more complicated it's not just the choice i'm gonna be an addict there's a reason why someone has chosen that path absolutely and one of those reasons unfortunately sometimes is a family propensity a genetic uh, propensity toward addiction and because we have that on both sides of our family that was one of the things that led us to intervene really early because we didn't have to question oh might this be an addiction no if we see this pattern it is an addiction and we need to step in immediately so because smart. we've seen some lives derail earlier mm-hmm. well and in terms of resources there's also additional help you can find through the 12-step program which you can yes. just google but so the church important. of jesus christ of latter-day saints also has a 12-step program that is um, and though the 12-step program that's out there in the world is also spiritually based and has you focus on a higher power, this involves additional pieces um, and spirituality into all aspects. And so if that's something that you know that you need or that you can support someone with, um, you can go Google that as well. But the 12-step programs can also be helpful for those who are uh, suffering with addiction. Um, anyone else have any thoughts or resources that we should share? I'll just end with one last thought that comes from Neil A. Maxwell, who was just a beautiful, eloquent speaker. But his his thought is, don't wait too long to find the altar or begin to place the gift of your wills upon it. That goes for all of us. But don't wait too long before you put your will upon the altar and say, I need help. I need some additional support. I just thought that was beautiful. No, I love that. Can I appreciate I, that. Do you want to share the quote? I had a quote. Michelle, if you want yeah, to so... Um, actually, we'll have Christy share that. Perfect. However late you think you are, however many chances you think you have missed, however many mistakes you feel you have made or talents you think you don't have or distance from home and family and God you feel you have traveled, I testify you have not traveled beyond the reach of divine love. It is not possible for you to sink lower than the infinite light of Christ's atonement shines. And that's Jeffrey R. Holland. Thank you very much for sharing that. Before we close, I would love for you to share one final thought, if you have it, on if you had it to do over again, what would you have done differently? Does anyone have anything that they'd like to share with that? Christy? I did want to say, if I had it to do over again after listening to the show today, I would show more compassion to those in uh, my circle. Um and I appreciate the vulnerability of the stories shared today that have led me to that place of knowing I need more compassion. I think I would be more brave. 
I love mm-hmm. what Jody brought up and that it's actually a, a love, a love that you're extending and being brave. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can, we can, we can call it out and we can set some boundaries mm-hmm. and we can help get them the help that they need uh, with force. But we can also do that with, with an outpouring of love and without judgment. Mm-hmm. And so doing that will help them get the help that they need and help us to help them feel like they're getting some, what they need beyond what we can do. I I think I said before I would try not to judge as much but one of the really quick one of the coolest things that happened through this experience with my friend is talking to a couple different guys and one of the guys said you know what I have struggled really I guess minor with pornography here and there and and he chose to start going to a 12-step program and he said it doesn't really matter if I'm an addict or if I'm not, this could only better me. And he has been clean for like a year, but he was like, I don't care how often I look at that. I can now see where this could potentially take me and I don't want to go there. And I just thought, what a brave, that's awesome. Absolutely. Heather? I, how do we put this? So I think advice wise or however you want to look at it as we kind of wrap up today if we want this to be a part of our lives to where we can actually infuse hope and see the hope behind someone or with someone struggling with an addiction, there's some great concepts. Anasazi is a wilderness survival program, and it's based on principles taught by the Arbinger Institute in a book called Leadership and Self-Deception. And the entire point of this book is to see a person as a person instead of an object. And I think if we can take a step back and recognize that when we see these people around us with addictions or, you know, right close to us with addictions as objects, we're being very selfish. We're seeing how they're embarrassing us or how they're making our lives difficult or how they're, you know, causing all this trauma to us. But if we really take a step back and see them as a person, they're no, we no longer objectify them. And now we can actually be humble enough to love them. And to recognize that they have hopes and fears and dreams and cares and concerns just like we do. And so in seeing them as a person instead of an object, it really will give us that mind shift we need in order to walk beside them and really hold their hand through whatever it might be that they need. Appreciate that. Jana? I think I would have rolled back my denial and not fallen into the trap of, oh, our son wouldn't do this. And I think I would have um, reached even deeper to unknown depths to bring out more love. I think, um, I, I think my, our son always felt that he was loved, but I think there's no end to the amount of love. And sometimes that love is tough love. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Absolutely. The Jody. prodigal son is the perfect story that just allows you to say, picture the father And he looks off into the distance and he sees the image of his son coming forward and he takes off and runs to him. That's what I would want to do differently every time I'm dealing with somebody who's struggling, whether it be addiction or whatever the struggle is, is to try to be that person that becomes that father that says, I'm going to run to you. I'm going to run to you and meet you. We'll figure this out together. When we picked our son up, from the wilderness program after two months away from our family, it was that. Oh. It was the prodigal. And he and his um, friend came hiking up over these hillsides. And we had gone and spent overnight and went. And and we literally ran to him and oh. he to us. They run for They do a one-mile run to reach their parents. This gives me chills mm. to talk about it. It still makes me cry. And, and just literally 
fall on his neck and wept. And it it was one of the most beautiful, powerful reunions and one of the deepest joys of my life to meet him there and and meet that prodigal on the road to recovery. And what a story he will have to share. Beauty for ashes. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, ladies. I knew that 30 minutes would would not even do us justice and we have <laughs> and we have gone sorely over and if you are still with us I also acknowledge that there is so much that we haven't even talked about there are aspects of addiction that haven't even been addressed and if you are someone that is that is a victim of someone else's addictions we acknowledge you we love you we put our arms around you and we don't at all negate the struggles that you're going through but we let you know that at this time we provide and will hope and pray for you just as much as we pray for those that are struggling with this addiction and know that in days and months and weeks ahead, there will be more for you and that those challenges and that those promises that are given both in the scriptures and by these general authorities can bring you comfort and hope as well. And hopefully whether you're in the middle of a challenge of this magnitude, or if you are simply preparing to support a loved one that may come in the future, Know that we are praying for you and cheering you on as you get the support that you need as well. Please do not hold this burden alone. We share our stories so that you will feel hope and love on the, on the beginning, in the middle, and the end of some of these challenges. Reach out, build your support network of family and friends, and please get the professional help that you may need to navigate the storm. And remember to find yourself on your knees seeking guidance and peace from the one who bore all afflictions. You are never alone. You can find this segment and others at fromthelivingroom.com and on iTunes. And we always welcome your honest feedback. In the meantime, be sure to give yourself, your family, and your loved ones some living room. Thanks for coming to The Living Room. We hope you've enjoyed listening, laughing, and learning something new. Join us for our next show. And in the meantime, give yourself and those you love some living room.